Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Robert Justice to the podcast today. Robert's a Denver native. They Can't Take Your Name is his debut novel and was named a runner-up for the 2020 Sisters in Crime Eleanor Taylor Bland Award. He's also the host of the wonderful Crime Writers of Color podcast. Robert, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I love having conversations about writing with writers and uh, have been thrilled to see the wonderful acclaim that your debut is getting. But let's start at the very beginning and talk about your writing journey itself. When did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer? I want to write books. You know, those are two different questions because I started writing books 15 years ago. While this is my first novel, it's not my first book. My first book was uh, a work of nonfiction. I actually published four nonfiction works over the course of a decade, and but never really saw myself as a writer. I just saw, saw myself, I was communicating some ideas. It wasn't until about five years ago when I started writing this character that turned into a story that ultimately turned into a crime novel that it was even part of me realizing at my core identity, I'm a writer. This is something I do um, just to make sense of the world. And so my, I almost feel like I have two journeys. There was the original journey with yeah. non, nonfiction, but then the writing of this novel almost awakened a new part of me where I realized that I'm more of a writer than I thought. So let's talk about the nonfiction journey and, and you know, what got you there and, and tell me about that. I remember I, I had a topic in mind. I always, there was a book I would always look for. I, I always thought somebody should write a book about this. And the topic really doesn't matter, but it's just the fact that I was constantly thinking somebody needed to do that. And then one day I thought I saw it on the shelf. I purchased it and read it. And I thought to myself, no, this is not what I'm looking for. And it's then I realized the person who needs to write it is you. And so I sat down and mm-hmm. I, I wrote it. And thankfully I was able to find an agent and a publisher. And, and that was the beginning where I realized, um, I can do this and, um, it, 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 you know, it's hard work and takes time, but um, there are some things, there are problems in the world that need to be solved and nonfiction is made for that. And and so mm-hmm. that was the beginning of it, just realizing that there was a book I thought needed to be in the world and ultimately um, felt the mantle fall to me. And with nonfiction, which intrigues me because it's a, it's writing, but it's a different skill set in so many ways. It's still telling a story and telling a narrative, but it's based on fact and research and and thought and everything else. Was that adding to your imagination in order to write this novel? Was it, you know, uh, were you not able to do things through the nonfiction that you felt like, oh, let me tell, let me tell this other story or tell me about those two warring worlds? Because for folks I know who do both, they can be warring worlds. Right. And I don't know if I do both anymore. I know that I wrote nonfiction and now I write novels and I don't know if I'll go back to the nonfiction in my, in my heart and in my mind. I don't, 
I'm not even thinking about nonfiction for the foreseeable future because there's a shift that's happened at a heart level for me as to what I'm thinking about now. So they're really not warring for me, just two different seasons of my life so far. Yeah. And when you uh, decided to write fiction, did you, well, we'll talk about the publishing journey. Let's talk about the writing journey because they are separate and take us in different places. So about five years ago, you started to write fiction and, and write this character. How did that happen? Did the character show up? Or did did an idea, you know, how did that all come together for you? Well, the first thing that happened was my wife was diagnosed with cancer. She went through a number of surgeries and treatments. And in the end, after many months, she was fine and started to move on with her life. And as as she's moving on back to normalcy, there was a part of me that wasn't normal after that. Yeah. And yeah. and I was realizing there's almost some PTSD I was going through trying to hold mm-hmm. things together as she was healing. Mm-hmm. And I had no place, no healthy place to put those emotions. And that's when I just turned to the page and started writing. And there was this character that just started to form out of what I was going through, a character named Eli Stone who had lost his wife and was struggling to to move forward and to distract himself from his grief. He was renovating an old jazz club in Five Points, Denver. And once that character came to me and then I saw him on the page then another part of me kicked in. I'd always cared about wrongful convictions. And now I had a crime. Um, mm-hmm. Most crime novels are about who did it. And when you have wrongful convictions, it's about who didn't do it. And right. and so now I had the formation of a story. And and then I just kept going with it because I was just really enjoying the the process of creating something from scratch. And with this premise and this idea and this character, making it into a book is a lot of work. I mean, it's, as you well know, it's tons of imagination, tons of time, tons of wrong roots and things. How was that process for you? What was the process like for you? Was it different than writing nonfiction or do you have similar habits for both? The research was the same in that There were Mm -hmm. parts of the book that I had to research and figure out the facts. And so that felt similar. But then the letting the story flow and just see where it's going to go was was very different. And then I also had to learn some things. I had a couple of early readers, one friend of mine who's a screenwriter in in Hollywood, and he he read it and he said, you have something good here, but you also need to understand what it is. And he helped me to understand just even how I needed to go back and figure out some of the the um, conventions when it comes to crime novels. And Mm -hmm. so then there was a learning process for me just backing up and, and learning how crime novels work. Obviously the topic led you to writing a crime novel, but was it always something that intrigued you or was it the topic that drove the character that drove the novel or was it the character who brought you to the topic? Are crime novels going to continue to be a future for you or are there other genres as well that interest you? If you ask me today, that's the answer is yes. But then if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, I'm never writing a novel. So I don't know. I don't I don't know how to answer that question fully, but I do know in, in the foreseeable future, I, I see a few more crime novels just with these characters. And then I've got mm-hmm. a couple of other crime thrillerish kind of novels in in the works as well. And do you enjoy writing uh, in the thriller vein? Was that what your screenwriter friend helped you figure out is what exactly you were writing and, and how that works? Or, or was it, you know, was it something you've wrestled with? I think I was, at first, what I was writing was a little more literary 
and and it mm-hmm. had crime elements and he helped me see that really what it was was it was a crime novel first and and then the literary elements would needed to be second and that it was really a detective novel an amateur detective novel and once we got it narrowed down to that then then things started to fall in place and have you as you wrote this novel it was a runner up in the Eleanor Taylor Bland 2020 awards was putting it out there at that point nerve-wracking was it exciting where were you you know you'd already been a published author in, in nonfiction was it exciting I mean how did you feel about getting this work of fiction out into the world I felt like I was starting over because yeah I'm writing this under a pen name. Uh, just so that there's no confusion between the the two different brands. And so when it comes to crime writing, nobody knows Robert Justice. And publishers don't know Robert Justice. And so it's just a brand new, clean slate. And I didn't know how would it be received. So the Eleanor Taylor Bland runners-up was just a glimmer of hope for me because I had, I was in the middle of submissions, hadn't heard anything for months, either yay or nay. And to have that happen in the midst of waiting was just a little little thumbs up, a little wink that, you know, I'm on the right track and it's going to work out. And do you have the same agent that you had as a nonfiction or did you have to find a new agent? I do have the same agent. I, I love him. I trust him. He He gets me as a writer and understands how to work with me. When I showed him what I was doing... He says, I've never represented anything like this before. And I, he even suggested I go try and find a different agent. But I said, I've, I've, I've come too far with you. And if you're willing to represent me on this, I would love it. And he did. And I'm grateful that he, he did so because it's just been a good partnership for us. And you're talking about these characters continuing on. So series, when you when you first approached this novel, did you think this is a series or, you know, did you just plan on writing a standalone or, you know, how did that work for your imagination and your muse? Once the first draft was finished and I got initial feedback from some trusted writer friends, then I just backed up and said, let me take a larger look at what I have here. And then I realized I could see three to five books in this series, and I already could see in my head how they could plot out. And it's just a matter of sitting down and getting them on the page, because I feel like I already know the story of every book that's to come. It's just a matter of getting it done. So that's, you're very fortunate, but also, um, is that how you work? Do you do you plot the whole thing? Do you know how it's going to go, or do you get a outline, a skeleton, and you start? I plot what I know. You know, if there's some mm-hmm. essential elements that I'm working with, especially from from the city of Denver or some fact of history I'm using, I plot what I know, but then I write to discover how it gets there. And then when I get stuck, then I just go back and say, what have I discovered now that I need to replot? So it's it's kind of an ebb and flow between both until I get to the end. And do you feel like your nonfiction background helps you with that, you know, creation and that arcing of the story? The nonfiction was much more planning heavy up front and just making sure all the facts fit and that there was a good theme that tied it all together and that it did have a narrative structure. This does feel much more different and more free, and I enjoy it. Now, you mentioned that Robert Justice is a pen name. Do people know... you know, in your, in your everyday life, or, or is this like a superhero moment where, you know, you, you hide behind the book jacket? You know, not too many people know. And, and part of it is I just don't want to trick the algorithms on, on certain said bookshops. And, 
and and get two things connected. But I mean, it's an open secret. If there's a handful of people that are around me that know, and and yeah. then there's a whole lot that would have no idea. So it's interesting because from a business perspective, from the author perspective, you've got to keep two worlds going. You've got to um, keep that balance. And and it sounds like you're doing that uh, well. Do, do you find that that's an easy thing to do? Is that something that, that came with the years of writing nonfiction and also a life well lived that you're sort of like, okay, I've got these two projects. I'm going to keep them separate and this is how I'm going to do it. Actually, I'm, I can only do one thing at a time. And so when it comes to nonfiction, that's almost, that's sitting on the shelf now. And those, yeah. those books are out there. And every so often I do have requests for interviews and those kind of things that come up for that. But when you stop giving attention to it, it also stops gaining attention. And, yeah. and so, and I'm fine with that as I'm now moving in this direction. Which is an exciting direction for you, for sure. The publishing journey takes so much longer than people realize. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about this publishing journey and, and uh, for the fiction and how long it took? Because, you know, you've also been part of the crime writing community for a while, you know, before you were published and hosting the Crime Writers of Color podcast and doing other things. So tell me how long that journey took. From the starting of the novel to the publishing of the novel, it took five years. And I thankfully, because I had an agent in place that allowed me to, to have one, yeah. one step in place and then had some trusted readers, as I said. And once we got to a point about three years in where we felt like we had the manuscript as we wanted then started the next step of, you know, moving towards submissions and those kinds of things. It was right before I went on submission, about two two years ago, two, three years ago, that I found Crime Writers of Color and then also found Cincy and just realized there are groups out here and that will receive you before you even are published, that will receive you at whatever place you are in the journey. And that was so helpful to me to be able to just jump into the community and even start a podcast for other authors, even though I hadn't been published yet. And so that was just helpful just to get involved in, be involved in other people's journeys. Um, but then it was about six months into submission that we went from zero offers to about four or five. And about wow. th- about three of those were were really good. And then it just felt like, which one do you want? Because it was almost flip a coin just in term, in, according to the terms. But you know who who do I who did which editor did I feel a kindred spirit with that I would just mm-hmm. want to spend time working on on making the manuscript better, and and I'm just grateful for for Crooked Lane Books they they have been the right choice for me. That's awesome. Uh, your topic is incredibly important and it feels current, but obviously has also had a history in this country for sure. Wrongful convictions to be that fingers on the pulse, like telling a story that people are, I think, more receptive to reading than perhaps they were two or three years ago. How does that feel to you to actually be writing such an important topic and bringing that to light through fiction? You know, I had been watching, there are a number of authors out there who've written standalones around the topic of wrongful convictions, and I've read all of them and loved them, but no one, I hadn't seen anybody set up a series around mm-hmm. around wrongful convictions and the fight for bringing people out. There are TV shows that do that, but I just couldn't find novels. And so that's where I felt like 
that's where I, I can add to the conversation where we can follow one. How do you have people who get involved in fighting for the innocence of others? But then also, how do I shine a spotlight on some of the injustice that's happened in my own hometown? Because yeah. oftentimes when it comes to wrongful convictions, it's easy for us to look at Philadelphia and New York and Chicago, where you have these large outbreaks of wrongful convictions. And we're like, there just must be some major problem there. And yet when I start to dig underneath the surface, just even here in Denver, this wonderful place that I love to live, we have a history of wrongful convictions that hasn't been told. And who are we to think that what's happened elsewhere is not also happening here? And, yeah. and so for me, setting this in Denver, which is not a normal place for a crime novel, is just to uncover that a little bit as well. Yeah, shine a light. Yeah. Um, it's a difficult topic, and it's a topic that's pretty heavy for your protagonist to carry that weight and that psychological burden and for you to write. How do you sort of keep that balance for both your protagonist and for yourself as, you, as you're writing this pretty uh, serious topic. You know, for me, it's a positive outlet because if you want to get me riled up, just start talking about the sheer numbers of people who yeah. statistics say there are thousands upon thousands of people who are doing time for crimes they did not commit. And yeah. we can feel so helpless. And And there were even times in my life where I thought maybe I should go back and change careers and become a lawyer just to do something, which ultimately wasn't the right choice for me. But but for me, the outlet is to write these novels. It's my contribution and in, in, in the fight for, for all these people. So, Crime novels are an interesting outlet because uh, part of the structure is justice or, or creating order or figuring things out. And justice can be uh, you know, defined in a lot of ways, or at least uncovering when justice isn't done. Um, so it is a tremendously powerful way of approaching a conversation. Do you feel like through fiction, you can also educate while entertaining people? And is that a powerful route as well? You know, I, I do think so. And I think Part of the beauty of talking about wrongful convictions is it's something that everyone agrees on. It, yeah. it doesn't matter your political stripe. Right versus left agrees that this should not happen. Innocent people should not be in prison. And so it's almost like this one final place of common ground that the country has. But now that we stand on that common ground that this should not happen, can we now talk about why it happens? Because as soon as you start talking about why it happens, you have to talk about systems of injustice. You have to talk about race. Yeah. You have to talk about inequities. All those things that divide us, maybe wrongful convictions is the common ground where we can have that discussion in a safe way. And that's what I'm hoping. Or have that conversation in a way that isn't safe to some people's belief systems, but needs to yeah. have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. So you're with Crooked Lane. Your first book came out. Uh, December 7th. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few December weeks. December 7th. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago. Um, and have you started working on the second one? I've been working on it for a little over a year. And it's going a little yeah. slower um, as I'm trying to find my way and remember what threads I started in the first novel so that I can continue them <laughs> yeah. into the second. But yeah, it's, it's about a third of the way done. 
you know, that second novel in these conversations I have with people, it's you've done it once, but you've got to prove to yourself you could do it again. (laughs) And that's not always easy. Um, What's some of the best and the worst pieces of writing advice you've gotten? You know, when you think about worst advice, it's probably good advice for somebody. It's just not good advice for you. And so the one piece of advice that I received that just doesn't work for me is don't read your reviews. And that assumes that I have the willpower not to do that. And I just, I just can't, I, I have an incessant need to try and find what people are saying. And so for me, I have to ask myself, what's a healthy way to go about reading my reviews. And one thing is I have a program on my computer where I lock myself out of all the review sites for eight to 12 hours at a time so that I don't go check. And then there's just one or two times a day where I allow myself to go see if there's anything there. And then when I go, I go with a very specific goal of if there's any negative things said, I just want to write it down and ask because reader feedback is gold. And so if somebody's got something negative, it's somebody who read your book and I want to write down what they didn't like because they may have something that I need to learn. Um, But also I, I read my reviews because we all have, we all want everybody to read our books, but we also have a target audience. And so I, I keep an mm-hmm. eye out for my target audience. And if they're resonating, then it lets me know that I've at least met the goal there. So don't read your reviews. That's kind of bad, bad advice for me because I, I can't help myself. And so I just have to do it in a healthy way. Probably the best advice came from a book by John Truby, The Anatomy of Story. And I read that about halfway through the writing of my debut. And there's this one sentence in there where he says, write something that will change your life. And hmm. when you're done writing the story, no matter what else happens, you've changed your life. And, oh. and so for me, that became my starting point, even on the second book is, yeah. is how, how is this going to change my life when I write the end? What's the journey that needs to happen inside of me? So that regardless of sales and acceptance, it's already accomplished the number one goal. That's great. I mean, that's setting quite the goal for yourself yeah. as a writer. Um, how is this going to uh, change my life? But that's really powerful. Tell me about this program you have that locks you out of your <laughs> review sites for eight to 10 hours a day. It's, it's a program called Freedom, and it's at freedom.to. It's, it's just a typical program that you can use to to block kids out of different sites. And I just put it on my computer and you can lock yourself out of social media for a while. You can lock yourself, whatever sites you put in there, and then you can choose a session. And so I use that even when I'm writing and I just want to lock the internet away. Mm-hmm. I'll just lock myself out of sites and I yeah. I can't get back in until it lets me back in. And do you write a certain amount of time every day or do you, you know, how do you, how does your writing life work? I do have scheduled times throughout the week and it's not every day. It's three to four times a week. And a couple of times it's early in the morning, like right around 530. And then a couple of times it's mid afternoon and maybe into the evening. And then when those scheduled times arrive, I just show up and there's kind of a ritual I go through. So it's the same music. It's the same things to drink every time. Um, I give myself three options on the drink, depending on time of day. It's either coffee or a very spicy tea or sometimes rum. And, and what, <laughs> and what I love about it is they, they have wonderful um, sense to them and they just kind of yeah. trigger me that this is what I'm here to do. And then I, 
sit down and I start handwriting in a journal about my writing. I'm not even working on a chapter yet. I just start writing about my writing and what I'm thinking about my writing and even the chapter I'm getting ready to write. And as I handwrite, it slows me down and slows my mind down as I then start to talk about the goal of the chapter, the story I'm telling. And then it leads me towards a mind map that I sketch out in the journal. And once I've gotten to that point, it usually takes about 20 minutes to just get my mind focused. Mm -hmm. Then I look at that mind map and I sit down and I just start writing. And practically I draft on an Alpha Smart Neo. It's just one of those distraction-free devices that has no internet. So I draft on a Neo, I refine in Scrivener, and then I finish in Word with the editor. It's a great process. I mean, that ritual of you know, hearing and smelling and tasting that gets you in the, in the sense is incredibly great advice for people. I mean, um, it, it obviously works for you. Um, how do you write a certain amount of time or do you look for words or scenes or? It's, it's usually a scene and a scene for me is six to 800 words. Um, mm-hmm. I, I write short and then add a lot later. And if I can get that scene done in the drafting stage, then I feel like I'm at least capturing the essential thoughts of each chapter. So the writing time is maybe an hour each each session. And as you're thinking about ideas for your novels, do you you know do you read the newspaper? Are there cases that you look at, or or stories you hear that that you want to think differently about, or you wish had gone a different way, or what what helps you sort of come up with the idea? Yeah, my goal in each of these novels is to have an actual case that I'm okay. that I'm working with. Uh, in the current one, they can't take your name. One of the greatest unsolved crimes in Denver history is the Father's Day Massacre. And so I took the Father's Day Massacre, which was this killing of these bank guards and the stealing of money, and I turned it into the Mother's Day Massacre in my book. But I used the basic framework of that to then create the crime in the story um, because it's just essential to Denver. And then in the next book, there's also another... um, wrongful conviction that happened in Denver that is just heartbreaking. And so that's going to provide the the basic framework as well. And were these wrongful convictions overturned or, or made right? Or, or, you know, did, did people never get out of jail or? The one I'm working on now for book two was a man who was convicted on a dream. There was a woman who um, went through oh, the, the worst thing that a woman can go through and in the process was blinded by the attack. And so she couldn't identify her, her perpetrator. But then when she went to sleep, she had a dream and then woke up the next day and said, in my dream, I saw who did it. And she's just working out of trauma. But then the person she said did it 28 years later is discovered through DNA evidence that he didn't do it. And so here you have two victims and yeah. so I want to do their stories, both of their stories well, um, and not demonize either one, because that's oftentimes what happens is even when it's found out that somebody made a false identification, they end up becoming um, the one that everyone turns on. And I want to make sure that we don't do that to to victims. Yeah, that's I, I give you so much credit for doing this and for telling these stories that need to be told because it is, uh, um, it's a lot for artists to 
carry that with them and to process that as you're writing it. I, yeah. I worked in theater for many years and worked with actors hmm. who, um, you know, as they're building characters, depending on the character journey, it can really take it out of people. I mean, and, and I don't know that, that people who enjoy the work understand what it takes to do the work for the person who's doing it. So um, huge, huge credit to you mm -hmm. for taking those stories on and for carrying them with you for the year and a half it takes to get the book done. <laughs> That's a long time. You talked about Sisters in Crime and Crime Writers of Color and the importance of community. Uh, I do think that the crime writing community is a, is a good one. Um, but, you know, can we talk about that in general, like, you know, how that helps it? Because many people who may be thinking about becoming writers but aren't yet are sort of think of it as a solo endeavor. You don't need anyone or you shouldn't join an organization like that until you're published um, or until you've got a contract. And it's really actually important to join them as soon as you have the inkling so that you can get some guidance. I, I couldn't agree more because the number of times I or somebody in any of the groups I'm a part of have asked a question about whatever stage they're in, like I'm searching for an agent or I'm on submission or yeah. I'm trying to decide between contracts to have others who have walked the road and can share their experience and also um, give a heads up if there's a bad publisher out there that you need to avoid. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just extremely helpful to take this thing we do in solitary, but have moments where we join a community, one for our sake, but also for the sake of others. It's also, I think, helpful, you know, you have people in your life who care about you, uh, but you, with your writer friends, you can say something and they understand what you're <laughs> Well, you're frustrated about, you know, your series gets canceled. You, your friends and family are upset, but your writer friends can sort of be unhappy for you, with you, but also give you the boost to, to do something else. Or, you know, you get those bad notices. I give you huge credit for reading um, your notices because, as I said, I worked in theater for many years. And <laughs> reading notices is something that's really hard to do. It is. And, I, and, and like I said, I don't think I have a choice, so I just have to figure out a good way to do it. But. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, you're an incredibly healthy person for being able to, cause some of those reviews. Oh, they make you mad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you want to argue and you can't, I mean, it's somebody's experience, but it's still, yeah, that's, uh, so you talked about what's next on, um, in the writing, are you working, you know, you're going to, you said you do work on one thing at a time. You're looking at this as a, four, five, six book series, you know, but are there other stories that you could see yourself telling or exploring? Is there another character who's showing up, sitting in the room with you saying, hmm, when's it my turn? Yeah, there, there's a standalone that I have in the back of my head. I've written down the basics that go along with it, but then I also realize it's going to require probably three to five years of, of research. And wow, because it's just bigger than anything I've, I've, tackled. And so it's sitting there and I just, I'm collecting the resources and, and doing research along the way, whenever I get bored or have, you know, time in between edits that I'm waiting for, then, then I'm going to that. So I know eventually I'll get there, but it's, it's, it's something I don't think I'm prepared to write today. 
but I, mm-hmm. I'm preparing to, to write tomorrow. And do you see that as another, you know, mystery or is it a, another genre, uh, you know, it, or subgenre? It, it'll be more thriller oriented. Yeah. yeah. It's still, yeah. still in the crime vein. Let's talk just for a couple of minutes about the Crime Writers of Color podcast. You started that. Um, how long have you been doing it? Over a year. Is that right? Yeah. The, the podcast, about a year and a half. Well, I think it'll be two yeah. years this coming April. Um, but for those who aren't familiar, Crime Writers of Color, um, founded by Kelly Garrett and Gigi Pondian and Walter Mosley. And um, when I joined, it was just the one thing I, I know how to do podcasts. And so I said, can I do this for the group? And I'm grateful that they said yes. And I just love being able to interview authors doing what you're doing. And it just to be able to support other authors um, yeah. in what they're doing, knowing that the community is so loving that the support will come your way as well. No, and I love that the tables were turned on an episode yes. um, to help celebrate your book, which is is a wonderful thing. But it's a it's a great podcast and wonderful conversations with some really great folks, several of whom have been on this podcast and we've had conversations. But I will definitely point to it um, in the show. There notes is a lot of well. crossover between our groups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is happily happily for both. Yeah. Um, it, it makes us all better uh, to have many conversations. Um, Robert, thank you so much for this conversation. And, uh, you know, congratulations on the new novel and don't read too many reviews. And (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and thank you for the work you do with Crime Writers of Color and on that podcast. Well, and Julie, thank you for doing this. I, I listen to every episode you put out and I know from personal experience the amount of hard work it takes to to put an episode together, but then the growth amongst us writers when we hear other writers talk about writing. So thanks for what you do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.